Support the Bartholomew Town Podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome into another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. Today, my one-on-one conversation with Joe Paolino. Joseph Paolino Jr. is a prominent Providence-based developer overseeing Paolino Properties, which operates an impressive slice of the capital city's real estate. Paolino also served as the 33rd mayor of Providence and as the United States ambassador to Malta from 1994 to 1996. New episodes of the Bartholomew Town Podcast every Tuesday and Friday. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume content. You can also mosey on over to BartholomewTown.com or RIPodcast.com for all 70-something episodes. And this will be episode 75, so there's a lot a lot of work to do if you're, you're going to catch up on all of them. You've got to dedicate like a sleepless week to listening to podcasts, this podcast. But if you want to do it, it's there for you. Um, certainly dig in some some fun episodes on there. Everyone from Lincoln Chafee to Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Arlene Violet, Dan McGowan. He's been on twice, actually. Nico Lamazzo, Kat Kerwin, RJ Heim. It's all there for you. It's no secret within Rhode Island politics that there have been some disagreements between Joe Paolino and current Mayor Jorge Alorza, uh, especially over how to manage the homeless population in the downtown area, with Paolino saying, hey, look, we got to go in and do anything we can to rid ourselves of, of this uh, scenario as quickly as possible so that we can attract economic development. Mayor Lorza putting the humanitarian issue ahead of that. Um, this was played out in the form of a smoking ban, a downtown smoking ban, which uh, Mr. Paolino pushed for. The mayor essentially said, nope. And that's kind of how this thing's been playing out. No fireworks or anything, you know, just major policy disagreements. So, it was important for me to sit down with Joe Palino. Well, I can tell you, when I was a young boy growing up, um, some people want to be a fireman, some people want to be a policeman. My my dream was always to be mayor of Providence. And uh, getting politics at a young age, uh, my generation, I think got inspired by President Kennedy, even though I was like six years old when he was president and and i remember my dad bringing me in the voting booth and letting me vote for him it was a rainy day and i remember president kenny was like just a few years older than my dad and so that kind of generation inspired me when kenny talked about doing something back for your country that that meant a lot to me so i got involved in politics as a volunteer in various campaigns and and then when i was 23 i ran for city council but my goal always was to try to be mayor of providence because i had a different vision for the city even at a young age i felt that providence was a a great city the downtown could really be vibrant the neighborhoods could could really be something special to live in and i I kept on saying to myself, why does Boston do this and we don't do this in Providence? How come this can happen in New York and we don't do this in Providence? Um, So when I was on the city council, I served for four years. I got reelected at the age of 27. The uh, city council, my colleagues, um, asked me if I would be uh, the city council president. And I was kind of like the... um, 
a peacemaker within the council. I get along with the different factions, with all factions. I, you know, you can have a debate, but you go out afterwards and get a beer, and and we're people, we're not political animals, and we shouldn't be. So, um, I was kind of a compromise candidate between the various factions. Um, but in those days, I was an opponent of Buddy Sancy. I, I I didn't like the direction the city was going in, although I respected and admired the vision that he had when it came to redevelopment and, and economic development. Um, always respected that. Um, and it's funny, years later, he and I became very dear friends. But in those days, we were battling. So when he had to leave office the first time, I was still 28 years old. And I was a council president. I, I assumed the role. And it was it, it was a tough time because he uh, had to resign over a personal domestic problem that he had with his ex-wife and, and an alteration that he was in the middle of. But the city was going through a lot of corruption investigations and there were indictments and there were um, going on in convictions. And, and there was so there was like two things. And quite frankly, he was lucky that he was able to um, that he left under the reason why he did. Um, so I became mayor um, on an acting basis um, and when you're an acting mayor, you're strictly acting. I mean, you're there as a custodian and only a custodian um, because you're not elected. And I recognize that. And I ran. There was another Democrat that ran as an independent, Kevin McKenna. Fred Lippett was a Republican um, national committee person for Rhode Island. His family owned the Providence Journal. He was an older gentleman. He kept on referring to me as Joey <laughs> during the campaign. Um, and because he wanted to try to show that my youth uh, equaled inexperience. But quite frankly, I had more experience than he did when it came to Providence because I was elected at a young age. In fact, Mayor Dooley appointed me to the Historic District Commission when I was 19 years old uh, because I always had a belief and love for historic preservation of our old buildings. So anyways, I won by about 121 votes. Um, I served out the last three years of CNC's tenure, and then I got reelected, and I served another four years. Uh, when I was 35, I had to make a decision. Do I stay in the job that I love that's going to be facing problems, or do I run for a higher office? And, you know, when you're young and you're ambitious, you know, you always want to take that next step. And I remember my dad telling me, not that he was in favor of me running for governor, because quite frankly, most of my relatives and close friends didn't want me to, um, he said something to me that made a lot of sense. Take your chances before you're 40. Because after you're 40, you're, you're, your life is more, you have a family, you have responsibilities, you have, um, you don't have many more uh, times that you can take a chance and have a second bite at the apple of life or business of being a professional. And so I took that chance at 35. I lost. Governor Sullen defeated me in a primary. After he won his election, he asked me if I would head up economic development for the state. I did that for three years. I was able to complete some of the projects that I had started when I was mayor of Providence. You know, when people look at the revitalization of Providence, Buddy and I used to kid each other years later. You know, I say, Buddy, I did the rivers. He says, no, Joe, I did the rivers. I said, Buddy, then how come I got the shovel that did the groundbreaking? And he'd say, well, how come I cut the ribbon when it was open? And so it's not just one person that does these projects. When it came to the rivers, it was two mayors. It was, quite frankly, three governors 
They did that. When it came to the Providence Place Mall, we initiated that project. We started that project. And then when I became head of economic development, I was able to finish it. And to Buddy's credit, he understood and had a vision of why we needed a shopping mall and have major retail in the downtown. Um, and so he was involved in it, and Governor Sutherland and Governor Dupreet were involved in it. So it takes a lot more. But when I look back at the city, I can clearly say to myself, if I wasn't mayor, I don't know if the Rivers would be there today. I don't know if the Providence Place would be there today. The Convention Center, I don't know if that, because those are all initiatives and projects that we started while I was when I was mayor. And so later on, I became economic development director. I got involved in uh, Bill Clinton's campaign uh, for president back in 1992. And when after he got elected, he asked me if I would be United States ambassador to Malta. I did that for about three years. I moved my entire family. My youngest child was six months old, and my oldest was seven years old, and four children and a young wife. And we all went to uh, Malta and lived there for, again, close to uh, over two years. We were there. We came back, and then um, I joined my dad in our real estate uh, family holding company. We're not a company that buys properties and flips them and try to make a quick profit here and there. I mean, I have a building in downtown that my dad bought 50 years ago, and I spent a many millions of dollars in it and we put micro lofts in the building and it's going to be part of the fabric of the city and i hope my children will will be able to say that their grandfather bought it a hundred years ago and now they then their father rehabbed it now they have it again so we have a lot of holdings in downtown um that goes back four generations from my great-grandfather uh, we have holdings in Pawtucket, Cranston, Warwick, Johnson, Pawtucket, Newport, and East Providence and other parts of Rhode Island. I haven't really, we got a few things outside of state, but, you know, Bill, I'm born and bred in Providence. I'm going to die in Providence. I don't want to ever retire as long as my mind is strong and my body is strong. I, I want to always be working Sometimes people retire and then they die. <laughs> That's not my objective. I want to keep going. And I want to try to see if Providence can be a better city um, than when it was before I got involved. All right. Well, let's let's get right into it then. Where do you feel Providence is as an economic driver for the state? And as far as moving forward into the future and attracting the workforce that would eventually attract the companies that need to get things moving here well let's let's look at the downtown a lot of the class b buildings the older buildings which our family has owned for years and what we specialized in under my dad and my grandfather um those buildings have been converted into apartments and my dad back in the 70s uh was was rejected zoning to put apartments on dorrance street today that would never happen but they rejected them in, in those days. You need to have people live downtown so you can have a vibrant 24-hour community. They've done it in Boston. They've done it in New York. They've done it in other major cities. We're a collegiate city. Uh, Rhode Island School of Design, Brown University, Johnson & Wales, Providence College, having URI in our downtown. That has all helped Providence a great deal. So young people is what the future of our city is going to be. And, and we need to work off that energy that the universities have given us. So having people live downtown, I think, is extremely important. When you look at retail, that has changed a lot. Jeff Bezos, quite frankly, has changed retail. And before, we had to have retail 
we want as much retail. But now when you go into New York, if you go on on Rodeo Drive in, in L.A., if you go into a shopping mall, there are vacancies. Why? People are doing shopping differently than they did before. I still go into a store if I want to buy a suit. My daughter, kids, my, my children laugh at me. They said, Dad, we don't go to stores. We, we do everything online and everything's delivered to us and we get it right away. We don't have to wait. So, you know, there's a transition going on in, in our nation and the culture of America today. And I don't know where that's going to end yet, but I think we have to try to adapt to what's going on and recognize that we, our economic development may have to change a little bit. Maybe we don't want to put more, have, um, have it that we're restricting people. You have to, if you build a new building, you have to have retail because retail is not going to go there. So, and now when we see what happened with Providence Place Mall, I mean, I went to Seattle, Washington uh, with Governor Sutherland and Buddy CNC and I. We went there as a team. Um, you know, let me tell you, look, you had a former mayor and a mayor who didn't like each other. You had a governor and his economic development director ran against each other. And the three of us went together because we knew we had to, if we wanted to have major retail in downtown, we had to be unified and we had to get the best retailer in the country, Nordstrom's, and we got them. Why they left here, I think it's, um, it, it's quite frankly, it's economic development malpractice that the city and the state uh, allowed that to happen. You just don't take over a job. Uh, I don't care if you're a mayor, governor, economic development, if, if, if you're a planner, whatever, and just think everything's going to stay the same. You have to continue to be in communication with your tenants or with your lead uh, tenants in the city, with your shopping mall owners, and meet with them continuously and find out what they need and help. And for this to happen, I think everybody... Uh, today, when they learned about it, learned about it, quite frankly, on a on on uh, a blog, and that's not what you should be doing. So, those are some differences that I may have with the current administration. But you know, my strength is is business and economic development and real estate, and that's my strength. Um, the mayor is a law professor, and he's got different strengths that I don't have. Have you you've been in touch with him? I, I've heard at least some anecdotal. I think it was on talk radio at one point that you may have mentioned you'd you'd been in touch with him at one point. But do you have a working relationship with Mayor Lors at all? Do you feel like you're? I I, 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 I I'm not going to say we're close because we're not. Uh, I respect him. I respect the job he's got. He's got a tough job. Um, we have different disagreements on on what should go on in downtown Providence. And I'm not in favor of panhandling. I think somebody's going to get killed. I think the buses in the middle of Kennedy Plaza as a bus depot, not bus stops. I'm all in favor of bus stops because you need buses. But having a bus depot in the middle of Kennedy Plaza, that wasn't designed for buses. And, and somebody got killed a year ago. Um, and it looks like hell. How are you going to the Superman building developed when your when your front door, your front yard looks like hell, and for him not to address that is bothersome to me, and I can't figure out why. I really can't. Um, I mean, sometimes when you're a mayor, you got to like pound your fist and say and use your bully pulpit and try to make things happen. Otherwise, you're not going to bring business. And and when you bring business in, what are you doing? You're trying to create jobs for the people that live in your city. 
So that's all it is. We want to create jobs, and that should be the primary. But having people um, um, doing illegal drugs downtown, having uh, vagrants there, having panhandling going on, I mean, what company is going to want – Companies have moved out of downtown, out of my buildings, because they've been assaulted walking through Kennedy Plaza. So if you said to me, what's the biggest disagreement you got with the mayor? It's how he's worked on Kennedy Plaza. And you know, I've, I've talked to him until I'm blue in the face. And he's very polite to me, and he's a nice man, and he's got a, t- a tough job, but I don't think he gets it. With the smoking ban, you were one of the people who were kind of behind that, and, and where basically banning smoking downtown the concern I had was that, you know, you walk across the bridge and you see RISD kids smoking cigarettes left and right or whatever right there. You know, with someone getting out of the court, an attorney smoking a cigarette right near an area that was designated as you can't smoke in. Now that doesn't seem to be enforced. You see people smoking cigarettes all the time downtown. But how do you bridge – how do you enforce a law without – creating a double standard in a place like Providence that already has that very visible economic disparity. Providence had a double standard because Burnside Park, the city with good intentions, I don't know if it was under the Lawser administration or the Tavares administration, but they banned smoking from all public parks. So that means Burnside Park, Biltmore Park, the ice skating rink, you can't smoke. All right, so that that's a law. Now, Ripta has a rule. I don't know if it's a law or not, but They have a regulation, no smoking at bus stops. So everybody who wants to smoke in the park, everybody who wants to smoke at Ripter, at Kennedy Plaza, they all come in front of the buildings that are paying taxes. And they're all smoking there, and they're congregating, and quite frankly, they're scaring people, and it it looks like hell, smells like hell, and it's just terrible. So I said, look, if Kennedy Plaza is a park, then treat it as a park. Everybody in Kennedy Plaza should be banned on smoking. Well, the mayor didn't get a, didn't agree with me, and he said, "Well, that's discriminating." I don't know why he thinks it's discriminating. He's discriminating against us by saying, "Across the street, you can do one thing, and on the other side of the street, you can't." Treat us all the same. That's all I wanted. So um, he vetoed an ordinance, and the city council, with my urging. Uh, overrode his veto, but then he's got the final say. He told the cops, don't arrest anybody or give anybody any summonses, which I never did that with my police department. I mean, you don't tell them who to who to give a summons to and who not to. That's up to them. Um, and so the ordinance is being violated uh, willfully because the city leadership wants it to be violated. And by the way, I don't like saying these things. I don't like being critical of my mayor. I mean, I, 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 I do like him. He may not think I do, but I do like the guy. We, but we have a disagreement. And I said to him once, you know, I said, look, it could be a generational thing between you and me. I don't know. I said, but we think differently. You know, you got bike lanes all over the city. I like bikes too. But who's going to ride bikes in weather today? Right? And you have people on scooters. I see people falling down on their scooters. I want, you know, if you have a house, you want your front lawn to look nice. And right now, our front lawn does not look nice. Do you feel Superman building can be, do you think it should be torn down, or is that is that something that should be I think you know, it's still be, a project? I, I, I think the Superman building being empty for seven years now is a symbol of, um, of political um, failure. I can say that years ago, you know, 
you know, if I hate to say if I was a mayor, but quite frankly, I'm working trying to get that building filled now, and I have called some other developers in other states who have done similar buildings and trying to see if I can get them to join with me to do it and make it into a community effort. You know, the Biltmore Hotel back in 1975 closed. It was right when CNC first became mayor. I was 20 years old. I was a kid, but I remember it. And CNC got a hold of the Textron, uh, the outlet company, which was a big department store in those days. Um, in the Providence Journal, which was a major publication in those days, and and other major companies, and all the heads got together, and they bought the Biltmore, and they made it, and they fixed it up, put millions of dollars in it, and they and they kept the thing open. Well, maybe we have to do the same thing with the Superman building. Um, I don't want to see it knocked down, um, and quite frankly, I don't think it can be, because there's not a because I have talked to people about you know what would happen if it got knocked down. They said there's not enough land for the for the debris to fall, and quite frankly, I look at that building for my building every day. I'm on the 17th floor of my building, and I'm and I say to myself, oh, if that building ever got knocked down, I want to be in Alaska, you know, because those bricks will come right through my window. So it can't be. So let's try to fix it up. And and as part of a symbol, um, it will become a symbol of success and accomplishment if we can get it going. But they got to make that their number one priority: get the Superman building occupied and get it developed and try to make it put the lights back on it. I light up my building at nighttime, and to me, that's my contribution to public art. And we spent I don't know, probably close to a million dollars lighting up the building next door to Superman. Um, and that was monies I could have used for something else. But I lit up the building because I think there's a, a, a public art um, uh, fabric that we have to have in Providence. And I want to see more public art take place. Certainly the skyline itself, you know, as you're coming from either direction or any direction, really, that's, that's signature Providence. How do you feel about the Fane Tower? I'm going to call it a fiasco at this point because it's kind of developed into that. It's a, it's, there's a lot of questions about you know, the architectural aspect of it. And to me, there's also the the issue of who's going to move into a, a building like that. Do you have a workforce? Do you have a, a, a population that would actually occupy something like that right now? I mean, I was in favor of the Fane Tower. Um, I still am. I don't think government should say no to them. If, it, if they're going to get a negative answer, let it come from the bank. Let them do their market studies, and and if they feel that they have the wherewithal to build that building without the public subsidizing it, I mean normal subsidies that we would do tax stabilization and and like build Rhode Island tax credits, that's fine. Nothing special, just whatever you have on the books. Um, I I feel is fine, and the banks are going to be very aggressive researching: can somebody pay five thousand, six thousand dollars a month for an apartment or not? In my own opinion. I don't know if there's a market for it, but I'm not the one making the decision. But if I was the mayor, if I was on the city council, I would have gone along with it um, and then let the free marketplace take its course. You know, it may not happen and it may happen. If it happens, that means that we must have a robust economy and and there's a lot of jobs in Providence and people have the uh, wherewithal to pay those rents. And if they don't get financing, it's going to show that somebody had a wonderful dream, but it was just a dream. It didn't become a reality. Hmm. That's an interesting perspective on it that I hadn't actually thought of yet. You know, let that be the evaluation level, so to speak. And my gut is that I don't think you could fill 
half a building like that in 10 years with those types of rents around here. Back in 2006, there were two projects that were being looked to do. One was, uh, you know where the Blue Cross building is located in Water Place Park? Yep. Those condos, those two condos, I think they're ugly, but those condos uh, were built. And that was being talked about while... Another project was being talked about. You know, when we Basel Street, there's like a the facade of a building that's there. I own that yep. land today, but and that facade is there, but it's a parking lot. And W Hotel was going to build a hotel there and condos. And myself and others would all talk and be in Providence. You know, we don't have you know Major League Baseball here, so we talk politics and we talk business and gossip. And so we all said, you know. Only one of those projects will happen. And the conventional wisdom was true. Only one happened, and it was a water place. So let's see if this happens or not. I just don't think it's a good message when government is being anti-developer. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be iffy if it even happens. But why should the government say no to it? Let the bank say no if it's going to say no. And if it says yes, then that's a signal that things are getting better. Right. And who knows, you know, maybe the Look, layman's perspective might be totally off. I'm not seeing it myself, and we're, we're missing something there. But, you know, the, the, the evaluation coming from someone who's got money banked on it, so to speak, that's, that's a pretty good place to start. Look, if it doesn't happen, my, you know, I prob- probably if it happens, the rents in my properties will maybe drop because there's more supply in the market. You know, from a selfish standpoint, I can say don't build it because I'm going to have to lower my rents in order to be, you know, everybody competing. Um, you know, if Superman happens, uh, that becomes apartments. You know, there could be some competition. Again, let the marketplace make that judgment. But don't let government send out a signal to out-of-state developers that we don't want you. Because I think we need vision from other people, from other ideas, from other cities and states showing us, you know, Rhode Island's got something that's, and I learned this when I was in Malta. Malta was a very small country. It's about maybe half the size of Rhode Island, a little bit less than that. And and they, they're they smart people, but they only knew what they knew. They didn't know what was going on elsewhere, and they would never travel anywhere. And I remember once I came back from, I think I, I had a trip, I had to go to Brussels to the NATO headquarters. And when I came back, my my security said he was a former policeman. He said, sir, how was your trip in Brussels? I said, it was a very interesting city. I started explaining it. I said, have you ever been there? He says, no, I've never been off of Malta. I said, you've never been out of Malta? He said, never. And he said, most most Maltese haven't really traveled around a lot. In Rhode Island, you know, people here really don't go to New York or Florida or Los Angeles or, or Boston. In fact, people, if you live in Woonsocket, maybe sometimes you've never even been to Newport. Or if you're in Providence, you've never been to Little Compton. If you've been in Westerly, you've never come and shopped in the Providence Place Mall. That's Rhode Island. So I kind of like looking to see what other people have done and learn. And when I go travel... Um, I always try to see what somebody else has done. And if it's better than what I've done, I've tried to emulate and copy what they've done. Your television show, that's a fairly new venture. You seem to be enjoying that. Yeah. When Buddy passed away, um, Channel 6 asked me if I'd have any interest in taking over that show on Sundays. I said, well, I took over the mayor's office when he left. I said, why not do the TV? Um, 
but I, I enjoy that, and it, it keeps me, you know, I'm the Democratic National Committee man for Rhode Island, so I try to balance myself, too, because I bring in Republicans and conservatives and people as supportive of Trump, which I'm not a supporter of Trump, um, and so I try to balance myself so I'm not too out there with my own opinion, but like, we'll be taping this week, uh, Matt Yellow. I'll have him on the show. I want to find out his thoughts on the governor's state of the state message. We'll have the governor on a week later, talk about her thing. One of the questions I want to ask is that, you know, a lot of states are promoting the legalization of marijuana. How do you, how do you say that that's good to do when in Rhode Island's talking about it when we're fighting the opioid process uh, problem on the other side and is it a gateway drug or not and is marijuana today the way it's being developed the same as it was uh, back in the 60s and 70s when my generation was growing up now because some of this is manufactured in factories and the synthetics and they're more potent than others. And what do you do when somebody's stoned out and they're driving a car? Is that as worse as being, you know, being drunk and driving? I don't know the answers to that. But those are some of the questions I want to ask. Um, and I know people say, oh, yeah, make it happen. My own kids say, oh, yeah, legalize it. Again, I don't know if it's generational on my part. But I'm a little bit more cautious because I think it's somewhat hypocritical to say we want to get down and fix the opioid. But by the way, instead of doing that, go smoke a joint somewhere and get stoned. I I don't know if I want to see my kids smoking pot or my grandson uh, doing that myself. But again, maybe I have to, you know, grow with the times too. So I'm I'm not oblivious to any any um, being hot and fast. But these are questions that need to be asked. As always, thanks for taking some of your time to join in on the conversation right here on the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Until next time, I'm Bill Bartholomew, and we'll talk soon. Discover the dozens of conversations I've had on the Bartholomew Town Podcast with Rhode Island politicians, media members, artists, and beyond at BartholomewTown.com, ripodcast.com, or on Apple Podcasts.